0: Well, good morning. It is good to see y'all today and want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. I know we still have a lot of folks coming in, but let's get started. And um, if you'll look in the Worship God, there are a couple of announcements for you men. Um, the Sons of Thunder is this Saturday. We really need you to register for that so we can know how much barbecue to buy. And so, if you can do the QR code, if you don't do QR codes, then call the office and and make sure they know you're coming. It'd be helpful to us to know that you're going to be there. And then, ladies, to come to the wells also this coming Sunday. Um, and you can see the information. Elena Weems will be sharing her testimony. And then you have several of our deacons who will be nominated, um, and we're going to vote on them. Um, you can see all the information about that. So we're glad you're here. Why don't you stand up? Happy Mother's Day to all of you. And um, and we're going to have a baby a family dedication in just a moment, but stand up and welcome one another. All right, all right. Thank you so much. You can be seated. It is very good to see you, and we are we are glad you're here. Um, look around and see who's normally here and not here today, and. Take note of that and give them a call. I ask him if maybe they had a rapture and all of us were the ones that missed it. I don't know, but I'm glad y'all were here. But um, we have a family dedication. Come on, Evans, I want you to come on up. Um, This is not for anyone's salvation. This is just a record letting us know that our children are a gift from God and we get them from God and we give them back to the Lord. And so let me introduce to you uh, Michael and Lauren Evans. Big brother Mikey is almost two years old, but we're here today to look at Mr. Matthew James Evans. Um, He was born January 23rd of this year. How are you doing, man? They're going to call him Maddie. So we got Mikey and Maddie. And that, yeah, I got a smile out of you. That's great. But we are so glad that y'all were here. And two names there, Matthew and James, both from Scripture. And and um, But I was thinking just of Matthew. And, and there was a passage of Scripture that, you know, when Jesus... <laughs> you and I are going to be friends. I can tell that. That's awesome. That was a great smile. But Matthew 9, 9. Matthew 9, 9. And... and Obviously, the old Matthew was sitting at the tax collector's booth and Jesus saw him and he said, follow me. (laughs) Follow me? He thought that was funny. And he rose and he followed him. And our heart is that he will follow Jesus all the days of his life. And as we think about that, that requires mom and dad doing what you're already doing bringing them up in the things of God and bringing them up in the church. And we're just asking you before everyone if you'll commit to doing that. Will you commit to doing that? All right. Any family here today? Okay. A lot of, a lot of situations. that didn't let them come here today. I understand. But, but we are glad that y'all were here. And big brother, are you going to help little brother? Say, I don't know about that. I he will. I know it. Here's the thing I want to ask you, churches. You know this. Um, it takes all of us to be faithful to the gospel. And what I want to challenge you is this. Um, Maddie shouldn't see you act one way on Sunday and another way on Sunday or Monday. He shouldn't see one thing in Sunday school or one thing in RAs and another thing on the ball fields. And so I want to challenge you to, to live a life of a faithful witness so that when Maddie sees you out and about, he sees the faithfulness of God. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. If you're willing to commit to that, would you just stand up? And um, just let you know, you're not by yourself. We're going to help you teach them, bring them up in the Lord. Obviously, it comes from you first. We do have a Bible for you and, and a certificate, but the Bible's just a reminder to bring them up in the things of the Word. And so I want us to pray for them. If, if, if you have a, a shoulder that will allow you to do this, like the Old Testament, my shoulders now kind of make me do this now. So, But let's put our hands toward them. And Chris is going to lead us in the prayer. And let's pray over this
1: family. Would you join us? Father God, we do pray, according to Matthew 9, that these children would follow you, that in your timing, by your grace, that they would turn to you and they would follow you and that they would be honest about their sins, but that they would know the forgiveness that is found in your son Jesus. And so we lift up Maddie to you, we lift up uh, Michael to you, we lift up Lauren and Michael, Lord, Uh, we just give them to you. Uh, We thank you for their love to you, their dedication to you and to this church. We pray that you just continue to richly bless them and encourage them and help them each and every day, Lord. I pray for our church, Lord, that we would support them, we would encourage them, we would be praying for them and their kids and for every family, every child, every teen, every, every youth, Lord. We acknowledge that they are a gift and a blessing to you. On the hard days, on the fun days... On the frustrating days, they're given from you, created in your image, fearfully and wonderfully made. So we lift them up to you. We thank you for the mothers this morning, uh, just how they love and care and pour so much, give so much to their children and to their families. We pray for the spiritual mothers, for those ladies that through this church and through their relationships uh, continue to pour and encourage and help our kids and love them well, Lord. Now, we thank you for the ladies here that are are waiting to be mothers, that maybe it's difficult this morning to uh, see these celebrations and uh, long for a child of their own. Uh, We give them to you. We pray for their encouragement, their comfort, uh, just for your presence to be with them this morning. And those that have lost their mother, that are not able to stand by them today physically, Lord, we pray for their encouragement. We pray for their hope. We thank you that we know that everyone that's found in Jesus will be with you forever. And one day we'll be re- reunited with them, Lord. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your goodness. We give this family to you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Appreciate
1: y'all. Thank you, so much. This,
0: um... Something something about being old, I guess, huh, Jimmy? (laughs) Got Jimmy on the front row today, so y'all watch out. But we're glad that you're here. Everybody come on in. Our call to worship today is from the first three verses of Isaiah chapter 6. And then right after that, we're going to do what Paul told Timothy, where he said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So let's look at the Scripture together. Would you say it with me? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, say this loud with me, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And everyone said, amen. Come read our scripture.
2: Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Job, chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck them down, the servants And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there was another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Let's stay in churches, continue to worship in song as we see Jesus as the all glorious one. Lo song to the Lord, that we want to pursue him more than we pursue any other thing, any other person in this life. These are hard words to sing. Strip everything away till all I have is you. Undo the veils so all I see is you. And I I pray as you sing this that it won't just be words that we sing this morning, that this would be our heart That God, whatever it takes for us to truly know you so intimately, more than we know any person, more than we know anything. So let's sing this together. This part together strip everything away till all I have is you strip it,
0: Let's pray together. Father, we I pray that that would be our heart. That we would place nothing above you. That nothing would take more energy out of our life than the pursuit of you. And Lord, as we think about pursuing you, I'm so thankful that we don't have to go up to the temple. We don't even have to come into this building. But as your children, we simply turn inward because your Holy Spirit is already there and you've made us temples. We go nowhere that you're not there. We'll never be in a place that your presence is not there help us to seek you to seek your face to worship you as you deserve to be worshiped let us pursue you the enemy the enemy puts veils over our eyes there was a veil before we were saved paul talked about it in the corinthians but you tore that veil Ultimately, you tore the veil at the cross where we could enter into your holy presence, but you also tear the veils that keep us from seeing who you are. And we came to know you, and we were born again. I know in my own life, there are many times the enemy still tries to veil my eyes to keep me from seeing you as the all-glorious one. So God, we pray that you would remove some veils today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through your Word and do what only you can do. On this Mother's Day, we thank you for the ladies you've placed in our life. We thank you, Father, for the love that they've displayed to us. I know that there are those who, who didn't have a great experience with their earthly mother, but, but I'm thankful for my mother and mother of my children. Even the mother I'm watching my daughter become. And many in this room have that same experience. We, We thank you for the love that was displayed by them. Many of us first understood unconditional love through the love of our moms. And I lift up the ladies in this room. As Chris prayed earlier, I know that there are some on this Mother's Day who want to be mothers but they've not been able to be you and God we trust your providence but we ask that you would you would grant the desires of our hearts And we realize that this is a day that maybe be the first Mother's Day for some without their mom this may be the first Mother's Day of some moms without a child we would just ask for your comfort in their life your peace. You know the many needs we have. God, we lift up Rita to you and pray for your healing in our life. We lift up our Pastor Emeritus to you, A.O. God, we just ask for, for healing. We know you can heal him. But we also know there's an ultimate healing that you give us. And while we're not ready to say goodbye, we know that there is glory waiting for him and then even as we talked Wednesday that he'll get to see you and so we lay him in your hands and ask that you would take away the pain we pray for Myra and the children that you would be with them in this time for Ronnie and his foster children that you would be with them and God, we just pray for Scott Fields and others, Camille. We thank you that she's at home. Just bless her. Thank you for those answers to prayer. As we turn to your word now, God, we pray that you'd speak to us and you'd help us. Help us to be more like you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James. I finished the first chapter. We come to James chapter 2. And, um, James chapter 2. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. James says, my brother's He includes you sisters. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen to my beloved, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor men. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. When I went to seminary in Fort Worth, I, um, I was looking for a church. And I didn't want to pastor a small church. I wanted to be in a little larger church and get a feel for that church. And I found one outside of Fort Worth. that was Red Baptist Church. and Rick Scarborough was a pastor. There were some incredible things that happened there. And he he ended up leaving, going somewhere else. And so during one summer before I graduated, I came back and and I found out about this little mission church that was a mission of the church that planted it. And the church that planted it planted this mission right on the other side of their parking lot. I went a few times and visited, and then they allowed me to be the pastor of that church. And Kim and I were able to minister there for the the last year of my seminary days, and it was an interesting um, little church. The church that planted it was huge. It's probably at that time the largest in Fort Worth. It was surrounded, though, by a very poor neighborhood. All around it was government housing, and, and, and I mean by that, government apartments. Um, uh, there, there, was, um, there were many halfway houses. Many of the homes were turned into halfway houses where, where people who who were maybe right out of prison and needed a place to live, lived there, or there were people who, who had mental problems, that weren't able to live um, by themselves. They lived in one of the halfway houses. There were, there were halfway houses for some of the veterans who had struggles and couldn't live by themselves. You name it, they had a halfway house for it. And so that community was surrounded by those type of places and those type of folks. And, and the mission that, that I was able to pastor was filled with people who lived in the neighborhood. They were, for the most part, poor and mostly uneducated. But the church that planted that little mission right across the parking lot, right in the shadow of that church, literally, was a who's who of, of the city. There were doctors and there were, there were professors in, in college and in seminary. There were, there were educators and, and many, many wealthy people from the city. It didn't take me long, and, and I'm not being overly critical here. I'm, I'm just speaking what I found to be true. It didn't take long for me to realize that, that at least the church was planted by a pastor who was no longer there by the time I got there, but it was planted so that the people of the community would have a place to worship without being on TV in their service. And I thought a lot about that little mission as I as I read this text, you wouldn't believe some of the prayer meetings we had. Um, one man, <laughs> I, won't, I, I can't get off my notes, but one man stood, he had never been there before on a Wednesday night. And I said, You have any praise? He said, I got a praise. He said, Last night, the Lord let me see a UFO. And there was a rope hanging off the UFO, and a man in a white robe. It was Jesus. He was hanging on that white ro- on that rope, and he waved at me. And I just want to praise Jesus for letting me see him flying on a UFO. <laughs> they didn't prepare you for that in seminary. What do you say? I, I did what any pastor would say. Okay, that's great. Anybody else got a praise? And, uh, but that was the kind of place that we had, and it was there was some ministry, incredible ministry that took place. James deals in his text, our text, with a real-life issue. It was an issue in his day, but unfortunately, it's an issue that hasn't gone away. He deals with favoritism. He deals with, with judging people totally based on their outer appearance. That could be the way they are dressed, the way they look. It could be the color of their skin. It could be any number of things, their nationality. We see people and we judge them by their outer appearance. In our text, James will argue against that type of favoritism. We'll see it in verses 1 through 7. And then next week, we'll look at verses 8 through 13. And he'll show us God's law, specifically as it relates to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then we'll spend two weeks in verses 14 through 26 where he shows us genuine faith. And he gives us four practical ways that we can see it in the Scripture, how it's lived out and how it's not to be lived out. But at all, everything we're going to see in the next four weeks has to do with this text, this issue showing favoritism. But as we look at this, there's something we have to see. I studied for this text, and, 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 and I wrestled with it. How, how do I get some traction? I just want to get my foot in the door so I can start the, the thought of a sermon, and I just couldn't get my foot in the door. I have a friend, y'all know him, Ryan. He's preaching through James as well. He's a couple of weeks behind me, because there was a couple of weeks he took off that, that I didn't. And, and he called me the other day and said, how did you deal with James 2, 1 through 7, trying to get traction? And then it hit me. I was reading something and and, and they pointed out a word and it just fell in place. And I want you to see, look at the first verse, my brothers, my sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. James speaks of how we hold fast to the faith, the faith. Not just faith, but the faith, the faith that saves us, how we hold fast to the faith. The faith, and notice it's the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. You've seen those words already. They're over there in verse 1 where he used the same words, our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in, in the ESV version alone, they use that phrase, our Lord Jesus Christ, 64 times. But that's not the phrase I want you to see. The phrase I want you to see is the next phrase. The Lord of glory. Literally, it could be faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one. The glorious. I think in that little phrase, the glorious one, we find the key to understanding this text. Now, I'm not trying to oversell something. I, I try to just state it as it is, but get this. This, this little phrase gives us the key to understanding this text and the rest of the text that we're going to study the next few weeks, but it also gives us the key to understanding the entire Bible. I'll take it a step further. This little sort of phrase gives us the key to understanding the Christian life as a whole. Seeing Jesus as the glorious one, When we see Jesus as the glorious one, the one we just sang about, when we see Jesus as the glorious one, everything else will fall into place. When you see Jesus as the glorious one, let me say it this way, everything else will fall into its proper place. You'll have some of the same likes and dislikes. You'll have some of the same desires. You'll have some of the wants and some of the goals, but they'll fall into the proper place when you see Jesus as the glorious one. Paul said in Colossians that when we see Jesus as the glorious one, we will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When we see Jesus as the glorious one and everything falls into proper perspective, we will then walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and you can live a life fully pleasing to Him. But if you don't see Jesus that way, if you don't see Jesus as the all-glorious one, If you value life as the world values life, if you value the things of the world as the world values those things, everything gets out of kilter. You begin to be off balance in every area of your life. You simply cannot be what God's called you to be. You see, we're not made to desire anything more than Jesus. We're not made to put anything above Jesus. It's called idolatry. And when we live that, we'll never be happy. We'll never have joy. Yes, there'll be happiness from the, from the thing that we get for a moment, but the shine wears off quickly. Yes, we'll find somebody who makes us feel good about ourselves, but that quits quickly. We will not ever be what God's called us to be or love what we're like we're called to love until we see Jesus as the all-glorious one. About 20 years after James writes this, I'll just remind you again. This is the first book written, written in the New Testament. About 20 years later, Paul writes the letter to Colossi, the, the Colossian letter that we I just quoted. Listen to what he says about the all glorious Jesus. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He said, All things were created by him, that's Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible. And then he drops this bomb for us in in Colossians 1, 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the glorious one because in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He says the same thing in chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Jesus. That's why Paul will say in that same letter, in those same chapters, Christ in me, the hope of glory. It it, it dwells in us. The fullness of him dwells not only in in him, but he he prays later that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Paul showing us who Jesus is. The writer of Hebrews jumps in. He says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Jesus. He's the all-glorious one. So when you see Jesus, you see the Father. Remember what he said to Thomas? If you see me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When, when you look out of this world, you know that it's Jesus who made it. It is Jesus who holds it together. Paul said in Ephesians something that we just pass over, but, but it, it blows me away. It almost knocks me down every time I read it, that, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1-3. Blessed in the, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that's because we are in our Lord Jesus Christ, the all-glorious one. So all that is what we mean. It's just a taste of what we mean when we say that Jesus is the all-glorious one. John picks up on it. You remember he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me just change that to the way James or John really meant it. And, and, And I'm not doing any violence to this text, but in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. We see that. And then he says in verse 14 that we, the Word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that's what it means to look at Jesus as the all-glorious one. He's, he's the second person of the Trinity, he's, he's the creator, he, he is all-glorious. And, and when you see that, nothing stays the same. When you see that, priorities fall in place. When you see that, love changes, and, and the way you see things change, even the way you read your Bible changes. Everything begins to be about Him, and you see Him everywhere. Nothing looks the same. Our desires at the very deepest level, when we see Jesus as the all-glorious one, our desires are fulfilled. Our desires are enraptured. We could even say our desires are overwhelmed. It's fulfilled in in Christ because we, we have found that one person who fits the hole in our life that nothing else could fit. And it's a perfect fit. It's the only one that we're meant for. And we, we look at this, and, and, and here's what I want you to see it's the key. When you see Jesus as the all-glorious one, you see how crazy it is to treat anyone with favoritism. If you see Jesus as the all-glorious one, you see just how asinine it is to put somebody else over another person because we're all made in His image. So James gives us the key to understanding, but then he illustrates the problem. He illustrates the problem. Let me just try to picture it for you, okay? Let's just say that the worship service has started and this place is packed. It's almost full, it's just one seat, it's the best seat. And the best seat is where Kim's sitting, right? Now, the best seat for y'all is back there, so let's just say, but the best seat, okay? In their day, the best seat was at the front. And so they come in, and the place is packed, and two visitors, the way it's read and described, two visitors come in, and you couldn't find two more different people. They come in to worship, and one one is dressed in a custom suit made of the finest materials. I decided, it just—it struck up my interest, I, I Googled what's the, the most expensive tailor-made suit. Do you know there's a tailor-made suit that's over $800,000? Yeah, it'd be crazy. Even if you had the money, it'd be crazy. It, it's, it's got this fine linen that, that, that has diamonds all the way through it. I mean, it ought to have huge diamonds everywhere, you understand. But, It'll be so heavy you couldn't wear it. But, but, but imagine, maybe he's not wearing an $800,000 suit, but he's, he's dressed in the finest suit that money can put. He has on the finest dress shoes. He has on the finest shirt. It's fit perfectly. It's tailor-made. He has the finest tie. He is decked out with the most expensive watch. He has on rings on his fingers. This was very important in their day. Those who had high power had big rings, and so he had the biggest rings. He was, he was decked out in a way that you could tell this man has made it. But there's another man that comes in. And this man is, I mean, there couldn't be a more stark con- contrast. He's dressed in his rags. Unless you've been around homelessness, you, you may not understand this, but his clothes smelled of homelessness. The first time I went into that little mission church, I sat in the back behind a little lady. She had on this, I never saw her without it. She always had a saint's toboggan on and she had this um, brown um, um, down type um, vest. And as I sat there behind her, I watched a cockroach climb out of her hair and go down her jacket. And I thought, get me out of here. I'm not pastor in this church. And God broke my heart because of the way I looked at them. And I want to tell you something about that little lady. Her name is Miss Betty. I keep a picture of her on my desk. She's one of the godliest people I've ever been in the presence of. Her husband was an alcoholic. Every time he made money, he spent everything on alcohol. They went without anything. They lived in a house that was it was condemned, and the police let her keep living there because they liked her. The people who came into that mission, you, they smelled of their poverty. This man comes in. He's, he's dressed in rags. He smells. His clothes are stained. If you put it in our day and time, his feet were poking up, his dirty feet poking up from taped-up shoes. Can you imagine a bigger contrast? A man who walks in dressed like that and a man who walks in dressed like, like, you know, wearing the finest suit and the finest things. Can you imagine that? They both come in at the same time. What does the usher do? Well, James says the usher takes the rich men and he gives them the finest seat. But then... What we see, what he does to the poor man makes the point. He says to the poor man, you go stand over there. And the English version really doesn't hit it the way it should be in ESV. Because he says, you go stand over there. And this is what he literally says. Or just sit under my footstool. Here's the problem. We need to remember this. The, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Your wealth doesn't get you closer, and your poverty doesn't push you further. The ground is level at the cross, and and you look in verse 3, that little word, pay attention. If you pay attention, it it means to look at with favor. And then if you look at verse 4, he talks about, have you not made distinction? And so what it seems to say is you've looked at this rich man with favor and you've made some distinction. And and what he's done is he's, he's thought like a Baptist preacher or somebody on the finance committee when he says, hey, we could use his tithe. I mean, if this man comes and he gets in our church, can you imagine what he might do? We'll get something from him. If you look at that man who's dressed like this other man who's living in the way he's living, you just have to know you're not going to get anything materially and it's going to cost you something. Just go sit under my footstool, he said. I'll never forget we were at First Baptist Church of Gunnersville, Very similar church to ours. Lake Town. There was some wealth there. There was some poverty there as well, but First Gunnersville had a lot of money. And I was in one of those houses and, and we were enjoying it. It was every Sunday night. We did this thing with the students afterwards. And, and there was a former seminary professor. I'd never taken his classes. He, he taught in the religious education part. But, but he had retired and moved back to Arab. He's now on with the Lord. But we were talking about reaching the poor. And he said this, John, God loves the poor but they don't pay the bills. I was struck by that. My pastor was there. The deacons were there. There were a lot of leaders there. And I didn't want to embarrass that man because I knew how much he he, he loved the fact that he had been a professor. But I wanted to say that goes against everything the gospel teaches. To say, let's go after the ones who can pay the bills and forget about those who can't. James says when you make distinctions based on wealth, when you make distinctions based on outer appearance, when you make distinctions at school, the way people are dressed, or or you make distinctions at work, the way the people smell or something else about them, when you make distinctions like that, he says you place yourself as a judge and you have evil thoughts. You place yourself as a judge with evil thoughts. Why? I mean, it makes sense from human perspective. A rich man could go a long way with, with just tithing, to, he could go a long way to meeting our budget. He, he most likely knows other rich people and he could connect us with some of those rich people and they could come and then we could build a new building and, and we could be known and we could get on TV and we could get advertisement, and, and then if, if he would just come and we could get him He'd put us on the map. But James won't allow that type of thinking. Look at verse 5 and see the reason he won't allow it. Listen, my beloved brothers. You see how tender he is? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world? Now notice this, leave that verse there for a minute. He doesn't say God only saves the poor. We learned in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, that that he saves the poor and the rich. But there's just more poor who come. He doesn't say that he only saves the poor. We know from Timothy that Paul speaks to those, he says, to those who, who want to be rich, but he also speaks to those who are already rich. So they're both in the, in, in the text, in part of the church. We know that Nicodemus from church history tells us that, or or, or from Josephus, that Nicodemus was probably the wealthiest man in Jerusalem. He followed Christ. We know Joseph of Arimathea, you just look at what he brought and what they brought to the the burial of Christ and the tomb of Christ, that they were wealthy people. We know Lydia, for example, was a wealthy lady who brought Paul in. You can see a lot of wealthy people who are saved. So he's not saying that he only saves those, but he is showing us something. He's reminding us of what Paul will write to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. How many times have we heard, maybe even said, if God could just save someone like Michael Jordan with his fame, or LeBron James, or whoever else you want to fill in the blank. If God could just save that person, if, if God could just save a Tiger Woods with $100 million a year in endorsements, if, if God could just save the head of the Nike corporation, or, or, or if He could just save the, the head of Facebook, or the head of Elon Musk, if He could just save somebody with that kind of money, can you imagine what He would do to the kingdom of God? But that's not the way God normally works. When billionaires come, and I'll just be quite honest, I'd love to have a couple of tithing billionaires in our church, but to be honest with you, when billionaires come, people begin to look, and what do they do? They give credit to the man. But when people like us gather, And we just do with what God has given to us. Some in this room have a lot and some have very little. But none of us are wealthy in terms of what the world says wealth is like. And when we come and look at this, when folks like us come and we just do with what God has given to us, when we see Jesus as the all-glorious one and when we serve Him, He gets the glory. No one's looking at the famous. No one's looking at the wealthy. They're looking at what Jesus does. One of the things I love about our church is that we're, we're one of the smaller churches. Every single time they post a list of, of the top 10 or the top 20 in missions giving in our state, we're one of the smaller churches there. And yet we always are one of the leading churches in missions giving. We don't know multimillionaires that I know of. They're, 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 there's, there's nothing like that. It's just people giving sacrificially. And I'll just remind you, we're about 20,000 off of our Andy Armstrong goal. 30,000 we've given so far. We give and we give, and God gets the glory. James goes on to show how foolish it is to show favoritism. He says, first of all, you dishonor the one who comes and lives like Jesus lived when he was on the earth. You dishonor them, but you turn around. And you honor those who oppress you, those who drag you to court, those who blaspheme in the name of Jesus. Now, obviously, not all the rich are like that. Not all rich people are like that. They, not all rich people oppress the poor, drag you to court, and blaspheme in the name of Jesus. But just look at, for example, Forbes' top 100 wealthy people. How many of them are known for loving Jesus? Look at the famous in athletics. Look at the famous in other places. How many are, yeah, there's some, but how many are known for loving Jesus? When we show favoritism, we show our values are coming from the world. When we show favoritism like that, we're showing that we don't see things the way God sees things. Look again at verse five. He speaks of the poor and he says, they're rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. What's more important to you? Rich in faith or rich in your bank? What's more important to you, fame in this world or being an heir to the kingdom? It's, 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 it'll be more to us to be rich in God's eyes than to be rich in man's eyes. When we value Jesus above everything, money just doesn't really matter it's not that we don't get it, it's not that we don't use it. It's not that it's not important, but it's just not what we think about all the time. In the church, we worship and follow the all glorious one. We worship him who left the glory of heaven. We worship the one who left the glory of heaven and came to the earth and was born in a stable. That's the Jesus we worship. Jesus didn't go to the right schools. Jesus didn't have the right degrees. Jesus wasn't even in the right crowd. Well, the religious leaders came to him. They hated him. And for the most part, they solidly always tried to trip him up. And they were trying to trick him one time in Matthew 22. But they said something. There was a little window in Matthew 22:16 16 of something that a religious leader said. He says, teacher, we know that you're true and you teach the way of God truthfully i just stop. If you knew that, why don't you follow them? But they said it. But listen to what they said. And you don't care about anyone's opinion. For you're not swayed by appearances. Are we like Jesus in that? Do you care about the opinion of the person on Facebook, or y'all don't even do Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok? Does it really matter to you what somebody else says to you, or does it matter what Jesus says? Parents, what's most important to you? What's the the greatest thing? The view of the all-glorious one or or someone who's going to die just like you? Yes, Jesus saves the poor, and yes, Jesus saves the rich, but we all must come in humility. We all must come by His grace. Today, we have to guard as a church against favoritism. We have to show respect to our leaders. Yes, we honor them. I would tell you if this place is packed and we're having something going on and and the governor walked in, I would get up and give the governor my seat. If this place were packed, even though I don't agree with a lot of the politics, if the president of the United States came in, regardless of who it is, I'd get up and let him have my seat. Not because he's better than me or she's better than me, but because I respect that position of authority. So I'm not saying James says we never respect people in authority, but what I am saying to you is Jesus is the all-glorious one. And we look to him. Now, people are poor in many ways. Yes, financially, but there are people who are poor in personality. I told the first service, I'm just going to look up at the wall so I'm not making eye contact with anybody. There are people who are poor in personality. They're just dull. You got to love them. There are people who are poor in mind. I'm just going to look at my notes. There are people who are poor in mind. They're slow and uneducated. Richie said, I looked at him at this this statement. There are people who who are poor in body. They're wrinkled, they're bald, they're overweight, just like your pastor. We have to refuse to make false judgments because when we do, we contradict God's values and we contradict the gospel itself. When we see Jesus as the all glorious one, everything else comes up short. The beauty of mankind comes up short, the shiny, the shine of the newest comes up short, the allure of the finest comes up short. We none of those things satisfy us except the all-glorious one. And Jesus satisfies us at every level. Have you found that to be true? Vaughn read Job this morning. I didn't realize, I didn't realize that was gonna be the passage. That we were going to read. But, but I think of Job. As we seek the things that are above where Christ is. Maybe we live in the big house. Maybe we, we drive the nice car. Maybe we wear the nice clothes. That's okay. That's just not where our significance comes from. And so it's not the basis of God's salvation. It shouldn't be the basis of our favor. Job had it all. He was the wealthiest man in his place. And he lost it all, just like that. As Vaughn read that, Vaughn, I'm thankful that she couldn't read that without being emotional because can you imagine what Job lost? And yet with all the loss, he stood and rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, All that we understand, but these next two words, and worshipped. Job understood something. Everything he had was from God, and the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the kind of man who saw God as the all-glorious one. That's the kind of man we must be as we see Jesus on this side of the cross as all-glorious. Amen? i want to ask you if you bow your heads for a moment. There are so many other ways to apply this text, I know. So many ways in in the way we're living today and all that happens around us. So much of racism and nationalism and all those kind of things, they take care of themselves when you see Jesus as the all-glorious one because you don't look down on people. You don't look down on them because you see Jesus is all glorious and you learn to let Jesus love through you. And so I just want to ask you today, where where are you finding your significance? Where are you placing your hope? Where's your faith? If it's not in Jesus, something's wrong. And how do you see Jesus? If you're not seeing you as the all-glorious one, I challenge you. Would you pray right now, Lord Jesus, would you let me see you in all your glory? Let me see you in the pages of Scripture as you've revealed yourself. Then you start digging into the Word and seeing Jesus for who He is. He's all-glorious. There's nothing like Him. Father, speak to us now. You know our needs. You know everything that needs to take place. So as we sing, help us to be faithful. And Lord, if, if something else is above you in the way we look at what is glorious, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a thing, maybe it's a goal, maybe it's status, whatever that may be. If we're seeing something as more glorious than you, help us to see that's an idol. And let us die to that. We may, like Abraham, get to keep Isaac. But we've got to be willing to kill it. We've got to be willing to get rid of it so that you shine as you should shine. So speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, let's stand together and sing. If I can help you, I'll be right here. Ask the Lord one more time as we are close with this. Would you just ask the Lord, What is it you want me to do today? As a result of what I've heard, what I've seen in song, in Sunday school, in the sermon, in the reading of your word, what do you want me to do? And then ask the Father to help you do it. In the first service, after, um, you can look up, i am amen on that. And, um, after the first service, I was standing up and during the, the response time. And, and, and I'm, I'm very critical of myself a lot of times. And, and the enemy often accuses me right after I preach. And so I'm standing there thinking about Mother's Day. And, and the devil kind of says, well, that was a great Mother's Day sermon. And I thought, well, you know, it really is. Because who else loves us like a mama loves us? God's the only one I know that loved me more than my mama did growing up. A mama sees through the things that other people see. She sees her child and she sees the one she loves. So mamas, thank you. Thank you for all you do. We love you and we appreciate you. Would you just bow your heads and we'll close simply with with this blessing, if I can find it in my, my outline. Thank you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody said amen. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, I'll be right over here. I'd love to meet you.